morning. Thank you for being here for our first service. We apologise for the heat. We apologised a couple of weeks ago for the cold. Now we're apologising for the heat. We got the boilers. We got the boiler fixed, and he's fixed it all right. Like so, that's why we're there. So it just uh, if you ever wonder why pastors can never please people, this is why. One Sunday is too cold. It's, uh, so hopefully it'll be okay and stuff um, let's pray before we come into the word father we come before you thank you in your house with your people as we pray every sunday we come to your word and father we thank you for your word it's a life-giving word it changes us challenges us encourages us and teaches us father we ask that by your spirit and through your word you would do that once again this morning as we look at your son once again father he's teaching and father how that changes us lord in Jesus name Amen uh, as part of the vision that we presented way back in September 2022 it says one of the things we said we were going to do is work our way through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, we started then and we've not been rigid with it because obviously there are different Sundays that happen with dedications and different times of the year where we uh, we do special services and stuff but we uh, well we do want to keep coming back to it uh, because there is nothing more important obviously than us preaching and teaching firstly on, on who Jesus is uh, and his story while he was here on earth the different conflicts that he came into with different people the journey that he was on and it helps us with the journey that we are on as well and stuff so we are uh, we're hitting chapter 15 today we've worked our way through the first 14 chapters uh, just to give you a reminder of where we are the uh, chapter 14 Jesus had done the feeding of the 5,000 he'd become very popular publicly uh, there were now crowds following him wherever he went uh, people were continuing to bring his sick to, to people continuing to the sick to him so he could heal them uh, and stuff and so it's not just the size of the crowds that are growing uh, many people are believing that Jesus really is the Messiah sent from God and with God's power he'd come to save them from the Romans uh, John's report at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 ended with Jesus realising that people were getting ready to take him by force and make him king and so he had to move uh, away from them. We've talked about the Pharisees all the way through uh, the, the study. Uh, the Pharisees have wholly rejected the idea of Jesus as the Messiah. They see it as their job to stop his alleged heresy and they continue to look for uh, different things to try and bring Jesus down. It's got to the point now where we come to the end of chapter 14 and we said this last time, uh, they have one aim uh, and that's to kill Jesus. That's, that's what I'm not just about disproving his teaching anymore, not just about proving him as a heretic. They want him out of the way. And uh, the story that we're going to read in Matthew 15 here, uh, it says there were a group of Pharisees and teachers have come down from Jerusalem to Galilee for the purpose of confronting Jesus. They've tried to catch him by surprise in the synagogue. Uh, they tried to catch him by surprise by planting people uh, in front of him uh, and stuff to try and trick him. But it's time now that, the, in a sense, the big guns have come down uh, from Jerusalem to challenge Jesus' authority to his face and where he's popular. When we pick this up in Matthew 15 and verse 1 to 9, it says, Then some Pharisees, teachers of the law, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. 
Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were guilty of the sin of legalism. The four quick things uh, that we want to mention about legalism. The first one is this. Legalism places human tradition above or before God's written revelation. That's the first thing about legalism. That they wanted to keep the rules because they'd added on rules and more rules and more rules. And so they placed this above God's written revelation. That means a legalist does this. Substitutes outward acts, rules or words for proper inner attitudes that come from being born of God and the Spirit. So Pharisees, nothing had happened to them there. They'd received no revelation from God. There'd been no inner change in their attitude, in their lifestyle. All they were interested in was keeping the rules and applying the rules to the people. And so therefore, what they had done is come up with a lot of tradition and said, we want the people to keep this tradition, these traditions. And it comes before God's word. Now, they, they were crafty with it because what they did was they took the tradition from God's word and they just kept adding a bit on and adding a bit on and adding a bit on and so this is where the problem with legalism is so the third thing we see is legalism has to do with motives primarily the motive by which we approach God's will as expressed in his word and the final thing just quickly is legalism is a process of establishing rules for us and for others that God himself didn't place upon us that's really the crunch of legalism and you can think of many things even in probably recent generations recent times of people would say these are rules for the church and actually none of them are found in scripture it could be any rule it could be whether a Christian went to the cinema it could be whether a Christian wore makeup and some of you are like that's you know that's but, but it could be that he said it could be on the stuff that people wore it could be on the stuff that people did and stuff and a lot of those were just things added on sometimes uh, to to what was already there that, that, that God had not placed this upon anybody but this is where the Pharisees are living with the people and they place rule upon rule upon rule and so this is a danger that's coming and Jesus is challenging them there is a problem with legalism because legalism helps people to feel more holy it helps them to feel more pious because what they do is they point to the rules that they can keep as a sense of their righteousness if you're a rule keeper you know we all probably went to school with somebody who never wanted to break the rules they always were good I hope it was all of you but there were lots of people and they wanted to keep the rules and never wanted to break the rules and often there are many believers or many people who are legalistic and that's a way that they live as well that actually we want to prove our righteousness by all the rules that we keep if we can keep the rules that makes us more righteous 
And so what we do is we place the rules God has given in his word and because the rules that God gives us obviously are, are, are challenge our behavior, they challenge our lifestyle and that's uncomfortable for people. And so what people do is exchange them a little bit, twist them a little bit, turn them around a little bit to rules that they can keep that help them to keep themselves more righteous in front of other people. This really sums up the way the Pharisees were. And so any motive for keeping these commands that does not stem from a living faith in Christ and the regenerating power of his Holy Spirit, it doesn't lead to a sincere desire to please God. They thought they were pleasing God, but they weren't pleasing God because it was drawing the people away from God because the people suddenly realised there were too many rules. We can't keep these rules. If keeping all these rules makes us religious, it's impossible for us to keep these rules. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus is saying new things. He was challenging the religious establishment of the day. These people who had done nothing for the people, Jesus had come along and they had looked at Jesus as the answer and said, here was a man who was doing something for the people. Now it's important for us to understand this. Jesus does not condemn all tradition but only those that have been created and conflicted with God's word. We've got to be careful that we don't treat tradition in church as a dirty word, because it's not. Because the issue with tradition is not that all, all traditions are bad or all traditions are good. The question is this, what traditions are life-giving and what traditions kill? Now, there are some examples here that you will look at and say you'll understand. I heard the story of a pastor who visited a church. He gets chatting to a man who'd been a member of the church for over 50 years. The pastor commented, you must have seen some changes in that time in this church. And the man replied, yes, and I opposed every single one of them. You've probably heard the joke that somebody says, well, how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? People say five. One to change a light bulb and the other four to talk about how great the old light bulb was and how wonderful the old light bulb was and stuff. Tradition has always been an issue with the church from the beginning. We have heard the phrase, and thankfully uh, in church now as we've moved on, but we've heard the phrase, we have never done it this way before. And that was a stumbling block echoing down the halls of churches sometimes because when something new is tried, and it's a battle of keeping the tradition, staying relevant to the world we live in with a message that is eternal. There are traditions that are life-giving and that we must keep. We have come to the table this morning uh, and the words that we read out every Sunday, for I receive from the Lord that which I passed on to you. It's a good tradition. The preaching of the word is a good tradition, life-giving tradition baptism we mustn't take tradition and throw it all out the window and say because it's traditional we mustn't do it there are some traditions that are life-giving Jesus's challenge to the Pharisees were the traditions that they were enforcing on the people that were killing them and that's where the problem lies when it comes to tradition you see the distinguishment as I've said here is between not between good and bad tradition is always that which is life-giving and that which kills. You know, the Greek word for tradition is paradosis, and it simply means it's giving over or handing down, something that as probably refers to teaching 
handed down by the word or, 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 or by orally by the word. And three times in the New Testament it's mentioned and it's always referred to the apostolic teaching. And it's important for us to share these verses because we understand what the apostles were trying to teach the people then about tradition. The first one is this, it says this, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So Paul, as he comes to the church in Corinth and shares with them, he, he's talking about the tradition, the good tradition that they have been taught that they need to practice. We see it then whether it's by word, in person or epistle because 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle, the letter. And then the third one we see, which Christians are expected to keep. It says these words, it says these words in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6 when it says but we command you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us so in the three cases that it's mentioned in the New Testament the word tradition it's a good thing it's an essential thing as part of the churches that Paul is writing to and saying listen keep the traditions that you have been taught and so we must do that here that actually that as it refers to the tradition that the apostles passed down there was an opposite one that is mentioned in the new testament it's the traditions of men jesus did not subscribe to the view of these traditions at all and not all he either appealed to the authority of the written word or his own authority as the son of god you see what the pharisees had done because we'd shared this way back at the beginning to keep the integrity of the law they'd taken the command that God had given them and to make sure the people never broke the law they put this fence around that law and said there's another law that you have to keep before you get to that law so just in case you you accidentally break that law we put a fence around it to make sure but then what they thought was, well, hold on a second, what happens if they break the fence, the law that's around the law? Let's tell you what we'll do, we'll put another law around that fence, so suddenly there's two fences. But then what they've done again is thought to themselves, well, we've got to be extra careful here, what happens if they break that law before they get to the command? So what the Pharisees did was they then put another one around it, and then another one around it, and then another one around it. And though the written command was from God all the other ones that had been put around had been man-made traditions had all been ones that the Pharisees and the other religious teachers had put in place because we see the challenge here that actually they challenged them and said why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat the bread now we would look at that and every mother in here would say to their kids before they eat anything make sure you wash your hands he said, now it's good hygiene practice to wash your hands before you eat anything and stuff. But this is not what this is about. This is about a rule that's been added on before they eat. That's a question of their purity and their cleanliness. It has nothing to do with what God has asked them to do. But it's a man-made rule that the Pharisees have added on. So what's happened is they've done all of this. And each generation that's come 
I started a little bit more run. I did a little bit more run. And so what they do is they're more concerned with keeping the traditions of the fathers, the previous generation, than they are with keeping the commands of God. And Jesus comes in with this challenge. He comes in with this, this challenge where he answers their question with a question of his own. Because the problem is this, is actually when it comes to religious tradition, it emphasises the external expression, but it foregoes the internal commitments that require a whole life devoted to God, not just the external actions. Not just about what we do on the outside. Actually, what God is interested in more than ever is the heart. What's life like on the inside? If we could come with a modern day view, a modern day expression, and often I share this with people because it's true, the church mustn't make it hard for people. The, the church mustn't make it difficult for people. We must always make sure we're not adding rules on like the Pharisees do sometimes, in a sense to protect almost what we have. When people are searching for God, are we giving them God or are we giving them the man-made rules that we've made for them to get to God? Uh, and because this was a difficulty in the challenge that Jesus had here uh, with the people. And so Jesus' response was to answer their question in relation to how we worship and honour God. When the disciples were accused of sin, Jesus answered with an accusation to the Pharisees because he uses the command that says, everyone should honour their father and mother. And he says there was a penalty for not honouring your father and mother in Deuteronomy and he shares that you see when we're adults we no longer live in our parents house he says under their authority he says we no longer have to obey our father and mother but we do have to honor them uh, and so that's the key that he's here so but what had happened here was this is what the religious leaders and the Pharisees had done they had allowed a tradition which allowed for someone to declare that some of their possessions or money which should go to looking after their mother and father and honouring them, could be set aside as a gift for God, which is called a korban, a K-O-R-B-A-N, which means it was a gift devoted to God. Now, the modern-day equivalent would be a tax write-off. And we'll hear on the news sometimes these rich people who put their money away somewhere so they don't have to pay taxes. That's the picture that you're getting here with the Pharisees. Rather than them honouring their mother and father by giving them their possessions and paying for them as they get older, what they do is they simply say, to keep us religious and to keep us right, we can't do that because we've set aside this money for God. Now, they didn't spend it, nobody spent it. It was just set aside. This is a challenge that Jesus gives to them and said this is a difficulty that he has with the Pharisees it's an external act they weren't spending it on anything to do with God they were setting it aside and Jesus actually accuses them of basically this you set it aside till your mother and father pass away and then you claim the gift back and we're horrified at that we're looking at that and thinking so but that's the accusation Jesus is presenting to them he's saying you're using these laws these commands that you have made to opt out in a sense of the commandment that God has given you of honoring your father and your mother to avoid the responsibility to care for your parents 
And so through this trick, because it was a trick, they could completely disobey the command to honour their mum and dad, but do this, pretend they were ultra-religious. Oh, I've given all my money to God. I couldn't afford to look after them or pay for them. He says, and that's the pious religion that they had had. And Jesus flips a table on these Pharisees and asks them, why are you more concerned with breaking a natural command than you are so with this tradition that you're talking about? You're accusing my disciples, in a sense, of not washing their hands before they eat bread. Surely the bigger picture is this. Why do you break one of the Ten Commandments, which honours the, the, the loving and caring of your mother and father? So here, from God's perspective, because he's concerned with the heart, to honour your parents was that which is evidence of the internal, of what's going on inside, looking after them. Because God is really interested in the internal and the real. The danger is, and I hold my hands up here for this without looking at anybody else or thinking of anybody else. We're far more interested in the merely external and image. And we must take care that our relationship with God is not just merely external and image. Look at me. Did, didn't I do wonderful? Didn't I help that person out? I'm, I'm just about to help somebody out. Attention, please. Everybody could focus this way. Just so you, you wake up, right? So I just want you to know I'm helping them out. We say, oh, we, we wouldn't do that. That's a modern day equivalent sometimes, isn't it? Of what goes on. That I'm more interested in people noticing the external that I do rather than the heart attitude of why I'm doing it. Because that was a challenge Jesus threw out to the Pharisees. And in a sense, it's a challenge it throws out to us today as well. Because the matter of the heart is always a heart of the matter, isn't it? Always about what is inside. And so we must make sure that we don't nullify or reinterpret the word of God because of tradition, popular ideas, present day cultural norms. The problem as described here is that they, they, they honour with their lips, but their hearts are far away. And you can understand that. And it's, a, it's a fulfilment of a prophecy in Isaiah 29 that's mentioned there. Uh, same issue with the people in the Old Testament. that They honour with their lips and we can say the right things and lift my hands high in worship. It says I can pray the right prayers. I can preach the right word. I can say the right things. But that doesn't mean my heart is right doesn't mean that the heart is right. And, and it has to be about the heart, doesn't it? Because their problem here is there's a complete lack of heart with them. They break the tradition. Sorry, they break the command, but more concerned with keeping the tradition. And, and Jesus challenges them over this. They were going through these motions of religion. They put on a show by saying all the right things at the right times. Jesus has already challenged them earlier on. He said, listen, if you're fasting, be sure you wash your face and, you know, don't let people know that you're fasting. Let people know that you don't, don't look hungry if you know what that sense is. Or, you know, when you pray, you know, don't be like one to stand on the, the street corner with the big words, letting everybody know they pray big, long prayers. And Jesus keeps challenging them here all the way through the book of Matthew because the issue is of the heart. 
And it's a crunch here because these different Pharisees that come down from Jerusalem had heard about Jesus and he challenges him straight off the bat and says, hold on, do you want a bit of this as well? Let me tell you what the problem is. And says, you're keeping the tradition, but you're not keeping the commands. They appear righteous outwardly. There's been no change inwardly. You see, with this, I finish, because even in this day of grace, Christians remain under the instruction, discipline and duty of obeying Christ's teaching and his word. When we say, oh, we don't live under the law anymore, we live under grace, yeah, that is true. But we do live under a different law. We do live under a different law that brings a different set of responsibilities and duties that we have to keep. Because James 1 verse 25 calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. And James 2 verse 8 calls it the royal law of loving your neighbour as yourself. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, You fulfil the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens. Romans 8 verse 2 says this, it says, The law of the Spirit which gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. It's why Jesus said, Listen, I'm going to get rid of all of this. I'm coming to make it right. I think it's important we know that. I'm not coming to get rid of this. He said, actually, you want to fulfill my law, carry each other's burdens. You want to, you want to do the royal law, he says, love one another. He says, you want to know that what the law of the spirit is, it's a law that gives life and set us free from the law of sin and death. So though we turn around and say, oh, we don't live under the law, but we live under a different law. And it's this law that we now must fulfill. And this is what the Pharisees had completely missed out on. They'd completely missed out on the care and the concern and the love for others. They had blocked the access to God by the traditions that they had presented to the people. And Jesus comes and says, listen, you're wrong. This is how I'm going to challenge you. And it's no wonder from here as we go away through chapter 15 and 16 and stuff, we see why their plan is to get rid of Jesus. They can't have this man teaching what he's teaching. They can't have him sharing this with the people. The traditional rules that we follow must always be based on, correspond to God's revelation found in his word. See, true worship is this. the life devoted to God, demonstrated by our inner attitudes, not just by our outward actions. It changes us from the inside out as we do what God has called us to do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The words of your son that tell us that they worship with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Father, help us not to be like that, Lord. Father, help us not to focus on the external, but the internal. For that really is, Lord, the heart of the matter. That, Lord, that you do a work in us, inside of us, internally. So, Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for your word that gives life. We thank you, even those who read those four verses at the end. That, that law that we live under, grace, that different law that we live under. That, that is an obligation to carry each other's burdens, to love our neighbours. Father, to, to, to know what it is to be set free from the law of sin and death. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you do in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.